0: You're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri,
1: bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Primary Medicine Podcast. My name is Dr. Dimitri. Today is a special episode. I have Dr. Wahid Pabani, a real doctor extraordinaire, right in the room with me for the first time in in many years. We're here on our second annual Algonquin hike retreat. We hiked and we we can't really feel our legs or backs, so excuse us, but we're going to talk about something very topical because we're from Canada and we went hiking and uh, that's going to be beaver
1: fever. So Wahid,
0: what uh, what is beaver fever exactly?
1: Beaver fever is caused by the parasite Giardia, Lambia to be specific.
0: So yes, it's a, it's, it's a disease. It's a disease caused by parasite and it's actually quite common. Do you have any idea how common it is in Canada?
1: I think we get something like 5,000 cases a year. So it works out to be about 17 people per about 100,000. Uh, in the U.S., it's a lot more common. It's about two and a half million cases a year. It's more, definitely more common in uh, children than adults. Only about 2% of adults or about 8% of children develop.
0: Yeah, and I think in developing countries, it's, it's crazy. It's probably one third of people in developing countries have had Giardia at some point in their life. And uh, as you said yourself, it's called by the, it's, it's caused by the protozoa called Giardia lambilla. And uh, we'll try and pronounce that correctly in the next 15 minutes, but uh, we may not succeed. Yeah,
1: it's tomato tomato.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the big question here is,
1: um, how does this transmitted? Well, be, being a parasite, it is contained in a cyst, uh, and it's, so it's usually transmitted by, uh, water or food. So it's a fecal oral kind of transmission. Uh, however, you can transmit it, uh, person to person. And, uh, the reason they call it beaver fever is it, uh, lives in some animals, So and you can get it less commonly from animal direct transmission. Beavers do carry it. Yeah.
0: I'm assuming that's why it's called beaver fever. I'm assuming somebody got bitten by a beaver. And then got uh, It's a it's a tough little bugger, and it's one of the few parasites that uh, can actually go from one animal to the next, and from animals to humans. And it's quite infectious. I was reading that you know an infected person might pass ten billion cysts daily for up to a month. And how many cysts do you actually need to cause illness? Like ten. That, that's 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 insane. So it's quite contagious. So it's it's not. Um, a surprise that it's endemic in some cases. Actually, Rory this is one of our colleagues here who happened to have beaver fever when he was much younger. He's from the East Coast and apparently the East Coast had a bit of a epidemic uh, back in the day. So you can imagine it's extremely,
1: extremely contagious. And, and who's at risk for getting uh, giardiasis? Uh, so of course, uh, us, uh, the campers, hikers of the world, who go to waters that are uh, untreated and and drink it. So you should stay away from water you don't know about. But uh, post-disaster locations, uh, it's just, uh, again, topical with the hurricanes that are hitting the southern United States right now. So that that water can harvest these parasites. Uh, Of course, children are a big risk factor because they pass everything to each other. And interestingly enough, those who... uh, participate in uh, sexual contact with uh, fecal oral roots. yeah so so
0: you know oral fecal contact so, so they're at risk um, obviously children they touch their bums and they touch the, their, their mouths and they touch the walls and anything any, Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how happened unfortunately to Florida and Texas if this there's a spike of giardiasis acids because it's pretty much everywhere in North America now Murray was quite young when he had fever fever so he may not remember how it presents but uh, but can you sort of go through some of the most common symptoms
1: so much like uh, other infectious parasites uh, it can be some asymptomatic but if symptoms occur it's usually with uh, some diarrhea there might be some Constipation, but it's unlike the bacterial infectious causes. It doesn't show up uh, right away. It's usually it festers for a little bit, usually about two weeks, and then starts to develop into the diarrhea.
0: Yeah, it takes around two weeks for the actual parasite uh, to go through its life cycle and end up in the intestine. So it's yeah, you're right. You know, with bacterial or viral gastro, it's very infectious and you get immediate diarrhea. But with this, it's a bit. You have to dig a bit into the history of where they've been in the past month to get a, to get an idea of what's happening. What other
1: symptoms would you get uh, with bivor fever? Yeah, so you can get uh, abdominal pain, gas, bloating, nausea. You can get some weight loss, like you can for any gastrointestinal illness. And the the biggest one is increased flatulence, which we should actually have more fart jokes, but unfortunately we don't. Yeah, we're pretty. T- <laughs> we're trying to think of some. who pretty
0: tied up with the walk. Interestingly enough, the it's called bivor fever, but Fever is, is not all seen that often. Um, you can get fever with this, but it's, it's not the most common symptom. The most common symptom is this diarrhea, the acute watery, foul smelling diarrhea. Obviously, if, if you're examining a patient, what you the, the biggest thing, especially with children, is to look for dehydration,
1: which is the usual thing. Do you have any comments on how it's diagnosed, uh, Wadley? Uh, Usually we check for uh, stool, ova, and parasites. However, the sensitivity is uh, fairly low. It's about 50 to 70%. So what is recommended is if you get a negative sample, maybe get another sample in a week and a third sample in another week. So three samples, weeks apart, can be uh, up to about 90% uh, sensitive. We were talking about this, and I I
0: can't really imagine a patient doing that, uh, just having so many samples, it's not the most pleasant test in the world. Now you had suggested if the first sample was negative and you had a high you of suspicion to possibly repeat it with the patient telling them they might have missed something. I think that approach is a bit more practical here. I, I guess the bottom line is realize that it, it's not a sensitive test, OMP is not very sensitive.
1: So if you read really think the person has it, you may have to dig it a bit deep, deeper. Are there any other tests that you can order? Uh, they have the fancy ones, like the ELISA testing. Uh, but it seems to be more specific to the commercial industry testing waters and such. Uh, but you can, uh, order that. And there are sensitivities that are a little bit better with, uh, up to 99% sensitive and, uh, 95 to 100% specific.
0: I think the issue with those, from what I understand, is that, is that, you know, they're great for detecting te- te- specific EGRDI. But you, if you don't do direct like microscopy, you might
1: miss some other parasites. Because apparently you can get a lot of <laughs> parasites, yeah. which is a bit disturbing. And most of us don't order it without the culture sensitivity either, so you can catch other bacterial infectious causes as well. I actually haven't ordered DLISA for GRI. Have you? Have you ever? No, I never have. My suspicion's never been high enough that I needed to.
0: I guess I guess, if you have high suspicion, then you can order that. They talk about doing biopsies, but it's very high, but then again, I don't see anybody doing biopsies. There's some serology testing which is less useful now. So if you diagnose this disorder, right?
1: how do you treat it? Uh, the mainstay is metronidazole, two fifty three times a day for about five to seven days. Of course, that children, is weight based at about fifteen mg per kg. But yeah, that's the mainstay. And then there's a few others you can take. Other hydrazol.
0: Uh, Azols, I guess. Azols. D- or
1: e badazol. E- uh, uh, <laughs> uh two gram orally a single dose. And then uh, night... Ah. Yeah, we're trying to pronounce that. <laughs> oh, we're really <laughs> sorry about the <laughs> pronunciations today,
0: yeah. uh, guys. We should be more professional.
1: Yeah, i we're a lot tired.
0: Nitazoxide.
1: <laughs> but we never use that. Yeah. We, never, we always use flagell. I
0: think we understand flagell is pretty uh, there's no, no resistance to it or very little resistance. So you can yeah. go with flagell. and of course, warn your patient not to drink because they'll get really bad vomiting. That's why they turn over a flagel. The other thing to consider is, is these people are really infectious. So there's some specific patients you may want to exclude or sort of quarantine from work or school
1: settings. Like some examples where he like you don't want somebody who works at McDonald's to get Giardia because that would be a public health crisis. But uh, and then people who work in, with children or elderly or immunocompromised you know, people, healthcare professionals, because uh, if this passes on, this can be quite uh, contagious as well as toxic to those who are more, more vulnerable.
0: And if you work at a long-term care facility, I imagine you'd want to do something there uh, yeah. to to make sure it doesn't spread because again, it's extremely contagious. And some people in long-term care facilities can't really take care yeah. of their of
1: their toilet hygiene. What are they, uh, So, what are some of the complications of fever fever So, they're just like any gastrointestinal uh, disease. It causes some dehydration, weight loss, uh, failure to thrive, and the younger population. But it can also cause some malabsorption of uh, some vitamins, uh, particularly fat soluble vitamins. We could probably insert another fart joke in here about the <laughs> stinky food. Who we want, we're very professional here. you know, we're just
0: pronouncing everything about left and right. Yeah, the failure to thrive, the weight loss. So, yeah, it, generally, if you're having somebody with, uh, with you know, persistent diarrhea, sometimes you can have chronic diarrhea here. you Obviously, they'll lose weight. And Rory had mentioned, uh, and it's something we looked up, is that uh, these people tend to get a higher rate of IBS as well uh, post uh, post infection. So something to, to consider. I'm not sure there's a way to prevent it, though, but it's something to consider. And, you know, we talked about some of the complications. Uh, maybe we could finish up with a prognosis. So how does it usually resolve this?
1: this the... yeah, It's usually gone by about uh, four weeks' time. Uh, that's why I probably recommended that you, you test after about two weeks of symptoms um, to see because it might be gone by the time you uh, actually test for it uh the cyst excretion uh resolves in about 50 percent of adults in about three months so theoretically you could be still infectious for that long uh but then there can be some uh cyst carriers about five to 15 percent of people can be asymptomatic and carry the cyst forever
0: yeah it's a bit it's a bit scary actually uh that, that, that 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 percentage and uh yeah, I guess, I guess you have to have sort of a hundred degree of suspicion. And ultimately, if I'm looking at Giardia, what, what I, what I'm trying to see is that if somebody comes in with chronic diarrhea, I would, oh, you always do the ONP, but you need to get a good history. And the big thing to remember is, and like most other diseases, it takes up to two weeks to present. So with us, I guess we'll find out in two weeks if we got fever fever. If you stop doing podcasts, you know why? <laughs> I feel like we were surrounded by beaver where we went. There was a beaver too. But yeah, so to summarize, Giardia, important to consider in differential. It is the most common diarrhea causing parasite. Um, so, you know, if somebody comes with chronic diarrhea, over two weeks. Get a good history. If they're at risk and the first P is negative, consider repeating it to see if they really have Giardia or, or do a, a Lysa if you have that in the podcast so uh, hopefully that was helpful hopefully we survive the next two weeks and we'll talk to you next month